Hey, it's Heike, and welcome to the Pursue Your Spark podcast. In today's episode, we are diving deep into the labyrinth of healthcare, a system that is supposed to heal and help us, but often leaves us more confused and frustrated. From misdiagnosis to feeling unheard, many women find themselves sidelined in their own healthcare journey. But what if you could turn the tables? Today, we're exploring three empowering ways to take control and manage a broken healthcare system. Tune in and arm yourself with the knowledge to become your best healthcare advocate. Hi, I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with over 35 years of experience. I'm on a mission to empower women over 50 to reclaim their health, strength, and vibrancy and step into the best version of themselves during this extraordinary phase of life. You're joining an incredible global community of women who have decided to stop dimming their light and ignite their inner spark instead. I'm thrilled to have you with us. On this podcast, I break down complex fitness, nutrition, and mindset concepts into easy, achievable steps that you can incorporate into your life today. No matter where you are, it's never too late to start. I sit down with some truly amazing people who've gone from tough times to great heights and experts who share tips to tackle your challenges. You'll feel supported knowing you're not alone in your journey. It's like having a personal support team in your corner. Together, we're going to change the conversation around aging, break down barriers, and reveal the true power of being over 50. So let's challenge the norms, take action, and say, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd love you to check out a podcast, and it's called The Midlife Fulfilled. And I have the host, Bernie Borges, right here, and he can tell you all about his show. Well, thank you, Heike. So yes, I'm Bernie Borges, host of the Midlife Fulfilled podcast. It is for people over 40 who want to thrive. And Heike, I think that's everyone. We all want to thrive. Specifically, I publish content that helps people thrive across what I call the five pillars of midlife, health, fitness, career, relationships, and legacy. It's the Midlife Fulfilled podcast. Of course, you can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Super excited. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this to my audience directly. And we will put a link in the show notes so you can check out the Midlife Fulfilled. Hello, everybody. Let me introduce you to our guest today. And it's Suzanne Salinger. The, she is the author of a book called Sidelined, How Women Can Navigate a Broken Healthcare System. With a deep dive into women's healthcare challenges, Susan highlights the internal conflicts many women grapple with when making medical decisions. She's not only an author, but also a passionate power lifter. <laughs> Susan has two fabulous daughters, four incredible grandchildren, a doc named J.D. Salinger, a cat named Max, and a tiny vineyard that produces Pinot Noir because she lives in the wine country. <laughs> 
Welcome to the show, Susan. Well, thank you so much. I wish I could give everybody a glass of my wine. That would be- <laughs> you know, when I read this, I was like, oh, my kind of woman. She lives in the right place. <laughs> Susan, how did you get into powerlifting? You're just like a teeny tiny person from what I saw on the Internet since we haven't met in person. I'm like, how the heck does she start powerlifting? Oh. I'm, and I love it. I have to say, and I also do Pilates, but I started powerlifting about, gosh, I think 30, 40 years ago when I was in my late 30s, early 40s. I'm old now, but I wasn't at the time. And I was diagnosed with osteoporosis. And they told me, you know, I'm going to be one of those women. I'm going to step off a curb and everything's going to crumble. So, you know, I got terrified. So I, I looked up what, what do I do now? And it said resistance training. So I started powerlifting. And I mean, I really I'm, I guess I'm really competitive with myself because I, I like going from two pounds to four pounds. I can see the improvement. And then so I finally got up you know, pretty good. I, I was able to bench press. That's my best exercise, like maybe 60 pounds. And that, I mean, I'm only 4'10", and I'm 80 years old, 81. I just had a birthday. I can't believe it. But and I'm this little old woman, you know, lifting these big weights. But then I also started Pilates about 10 years ago. Um, I have a, a leaky heart valve and which no symptoms at all, but you're not supposed to lift above half your weight. So I only weigh a hundred and I was already over half my weight at 60. So I thought I better stop. So I keep it up now, maybe just once a week. And I do Pilates three times a week. Um, but I love it. I, although, as oh. I just told you, I canceled today, but oh. <laughs> she was just saying, but when we started the interview, I canceled my workout and I said, well, sometimes we have other priorities. And you said, right. you know, rather than running myself crazy, going around and trying to get everything in, just take a breather and do what, what you need to do. And then you get back at it. No problem. Well, and, you know, I really should say, I mean, in the interest of full disclosure, when I say I love it, I love what it does for me. I don't love exercising. That's what, you know, I'll cancel at the drop of a hat, but I, and I try not to. I mean, I'm pretty good. But I mean, for those people out there that say, well, I'm just not a gym rat, neither am I. But the best thing I can tell you to for old age is truly you need to prepare for it. And the only way to do that is exercise. It keeps you. I can I move like a younger woman and I give exercise full credit. So even though I really don't like it, I do love what it's done for me. And I I, I want to give it, you know, a starring role in, in my health here. I have zero health problems, really. And at 81, that's pretty good. OK, did you guys all listen to what we just heard? Did you just hear what Susan just said? <laughs> she doesn't really like exercise. She does it because it makes her feel good. She does lift weights. She does Pilates. And she is basically way younger than what she should be, air quotes, for her age. Because at 81, there's way too many people out there that are already on all kinds of medications. Right. And yes, sometimes we can't avoid it. Uh, but if you can, like she does, is the role model between my 62 and her 81. Yay, ladies. <laughs> you got your work cut out for you between the two of us. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. And I'm only on one medication. I mean, I, I have high blood pressure, which is genetic. Both my parents did. Um, I mean, that's remarkable for 81. It really is. I think the average, according to my research, is most women, not most people, take four or five medications daily. Minimum. 
Minimum, minimum from my clients. When I see what they have, they have an organizer mm-hmm. for the for the mm-hmm. week with up to 10, 12 medications yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And 10 is, is not atypical. And then what happens is the, the medications interfere with each other. So medicine A makes your nose run. So you take medicine B to like to, as an antihistamine. I mean, et cetera, et cetera. And yep. um, and Very true. So crap. Susan, we now know that you love, quote, air quotes, exercise because it makes you feel good. But right. tell our listeners who you are, start wherever you want before we dive into your book. What have you done? Who you know? Tell us a pick. Paint the picture for us of who is Susan. Well, that's a good. I'm finally beginning to figure that out, but I'm working on it. I'm a writer. I'm a grandmother. I'm a reader. I'm a gardener. I love just being home and you know screwing around in the house. I like I trying to like to cook. My husband passed away recently, and he used to be the cook. So I'm sort of relearning. I cooked all my life, and suddenly I found myself just as a sous chef. I was just helping. And so now I'm trying to take back the major role. And it's it's a little tricky, but I'm doing it. Um, basically, writing and reading is who I am. Um, and grandmother, of course, but my grandchildren now are two of them are, are adults. Well, my God, three of them are adults. One just turned 18. So that's who I am. And I, I think the writing is the best way. I, I do. I love it. It gives me tremendous satisfaction. And that is such a pleasure. Yeah. What was the pivotal moment that inspired you to write your book, Sidelined? You know, it's an interesting question because it took place over a number of years and there were a number of things that came together. But years and years ago, when I was in my 30s, I had some exploratory surgery. Uh, I started, I had changed medications and I started some vaginal bleeding. And the doctor said, after doing some tests, oh my goodness, we don't know what's causing this. You need surgery. And I said, it's got to be the new meds. I mean, I was fine before I took the new meds and I'm not fine now. I mean, it's seems like it's not that tricky, but he did not agree with me and I got scared. So I did agree to the surgery, which they did. They found nothing. I went back on the old medication and of course, all my symptoms stopped. So that was okay. I mean, I was mad at myself. I was not mad at the doctor. He did his best um, and he was worried I had ovarian cancer. I mean, if he'd been right, he would have saved my life, but he wasn't right. And I thought to myself, why didn't I just wait? I, I just had so many options. Why didn't I wait a week or two? Why? I mean, there were so many things I could have done. But all right, life goes on. And then years later, after I retired, my husband and I had been in business together. And we sold our business. And um, and I'm hearing busy signals. It must be from something. Anyway, sorry. So we sold our business and that uh, retirement did not work for me. Uh, it lasted maybe three seconds, actually. <laughs> I was miserable. So I went back to school and I just took some classes. And for one of the classes, I did a paper on women who had hysterectomies. And much to my surprise, they too, or not all of them, but many of them had agreed to the surgery, even though they really didn't think they needed it. And and that sort of triggered my own memories. And I just began to wonder how, how as women, how do we make our medical decisions? What goes into our judgment? Why do we do this? Agree to something like a hysterectomy. My thing wasn't that serious. Theirs was irrevocable, even though they really didn't believe they needed it. And that just, I interviewed, gee, I guess about 60 women to find out how they made their decisions, what they thought about being ill, about medicine. And 
10 years later, I had a book. It took me quite a while to write. 10 years. It did. I did a lot of research, a huge lot of research. You know, I appreciate that in your book. It's it's not a, a pamphlet. It is not I, just writing about right. uh, the sidelines and the healthcare system's failures, uh, especially as we, as women are concerned. But it, you had you have really good examples. You really talk to your guests. You you have um, data in there that's provable data, not just made yeah. up um, right. hearsay. So I really appreciate that in your book that it was so detail oriented and and thoughts through. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because it truly, I mean, it's not a page turner. It's a book on health. You know, it's supposed to be a resource. And I always recommend people like get the paperback. Don't get the Kindle. You want it on your bookshelf, you know. Hold on. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Ah, Everybody, yes, here it is. Person. Right right there. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. Sidelined. How women manage and mismanage their health. And that's what we're talking about as well. So, Uh, the book examines the paradox of women being proactive about their health, but yet they're struggling in the healthcare system. What do you think are systemic factors that contribute to this? I think there are several. And I, that, and one of the things that I talk about in the book, and I, I will answer your question, I promise, but we really have to take charge of our own health. And the reason being, and here's the answer to, to your question, women, women's disease, we just know less about women's bodies than we do about men's bodies. Women's diseases, for example, get less research money. Prostate cancer gets more research money than uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer. And those are the women, our diseases, so to speak, are more fatal, but prostate cancer gets the money. And not only that, but women researchers get get less money than male researchers. We're published less often than male researchers. So, I mean, think about that. If you're a woman researcher researching a woman's disease, you're going to find yourself at the bottom of the funding and publication barrels. So as a result, There's not enough information out there. I mean, there's a lot and it's gotten better. It really has. But it's still you're you're really kind of messed up before you even begin. And the other problem is for years and this has changed. But women were omitted from clinical trials. The six foot white male was the standard. In fact, I was just reading an article that they even use male rats instead of to, to test some of this stuff. So, I mean, even they don't even use female rats, for God's sakes, you know. But I, I mean, it just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. I know. I know. Well, and so as a result, women are, I mean, I, I this happened to me and my daughter, who's actually five feet tall, weighs 98 pounds. We had to go for some sort of gastrointestinal test where you drink that stuff. And they gave her um, a, a, a thing. I mean, like a pint of liquid to, to drink. And I said, "Are the? do you give this dosage to everybody? She seems awfully little for that. And they said, oh, no, no, we give it to everybody. So in other words, O.J. Simpson or Kobe Bryant get the same the same dosage as my 98-pound daughter. So, I mean, we drank half and that took care of that. But nevertheless, um, that that's, was, that's the problem. And I, I, I think that answered you, did it? Yeah, you know, I, I can only agree from my experience. And I've become a very... A very picky person when it comes to doctors and their opinions of what we should do and what we should take as far as uh, medication is concerned and so forth. And you address that in your book and we'll dive a little bit into this in a little while. But I've like 
like you said, there's n- like literally no research done for, on women. We always get the guy's dosage, like you just right. said. We always get what's what has worked for so-and-so, which usually was a guy. Right. And the little research that has been around for us is so minimal that we don't really know at times, does it work, doesn't it work? Because the right. test uh, pool was so small yes. that it could go either way. But they're saying, oh, we had 16 women. And I'm like, really? Seriously? Yeah. Over over a course of two weeks. And the result was. Exactly. You're like, yeah, you're no. absolutely right. And if you're a marginalized woman, I mean, women of color have it even worse. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a, it's a it's a lousy situation it has gotten better there are more women now it's yeah. still it's about 50 50 but i don't know about um women of color or other marginalized pop i don't know oh, other other synthesities yeah that's true now when you selected the women that you were interviewing for your book um was there resistance? Was were there concerns that they that somebody may read their name Mary Sue in the book, or <laughs> no. or that they actually were wanted didn't want to share? Although we women love to share, yes, but- they all were. Yeah, first of all, I did uh, I, I I changed everybody's name and location, so there's no way to recognize them. Um, but everybody was so gracious and so generous. Um, I got them off the internet. I just, you know, went to various support groups and said, you know, hey, I'm a writer. I'd, I'd like to interview you, et cetera. I got a lot of replies and everybody was, all they wanted to do was help other women. And most of them, some of them did want me to use their name, but most of them did not. And I found that it was really nice when I wasn't using people's names. Um, and I tried interviewing like a couple of my friends and that doesn't, it's better to interview strangers and to keep their names private. One woman actually said to me, she started to tell me something very intimate and she said, Oh, I can tell you this. I'll never see you again. And that was true. And I got a lot of good information that way. And I think that that's really one of the secrets to interviewing actually. It's the intimacy. It's the intimacy, but yet they are there. There is this barrier of, like you just said, I will never see you again. So, right. who cares? Yes, exactly. And she was right. And it was something. It was about hysterectomies, and I was really glad that she had. She was having some sexual issues, and that's a typical side effect of hysterectomy. So I was really glad she shared that. It gave some life to my research. You know, it was a, a real yeah, life. Re- real life stories from from people that had this happen to them is it underlines just what everything is said in your book and you go okay this is not a made-up story again this has actually happened to this person right so and so and this is so important so we can see ourselves in the shoes as you painted in your book yeah that that we aren't which i'm what i'm always about is we're not alone we help as women we help each other out with the information that we know and and have experienced right Right. So in your book, uh, coming back, when you researched your book, what cultural uh, history did you find around the, some of the topics or maybe just one or gender biases? I mean, we talked touched on the gender biases already with male, female, but maybe some cultural a cultural history. And I, I think of a specific one, but maybe you think of a different one today because it's a different day. <laughs> well, cultural, if we, I want to talk about gender bias. I didn't do cultural studies or cultural research as much as I wanted to. I actually started to, but how do I say this? Marginalized populations, minority 
women. There's so many different groups. And I had it all sort of broken down. I mean, Asian women versus black women versus white women. And then somebody said, well, what about American Indian? And then somebody said, well, what about, I mean, I got, I found myself going down a rabbit hole because no matter how many people or, 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 cultures I listed, there was always one I'd left out. And that was the, that would be the culture of the person that was reading it for me. So I really just, all women have issues in the medical system. Certainly some have more than others. And the issues differ from culture to culture and from woman to woman. We're not all the same. I mean, I, I don't remember personally ever facing gender bias, but I'm certainly well aware that it exists. Um, in terms of gender bias, I'm much more comfortable talking about that because I'm very familiar with the information. But it was, it was funny because I was just studying my notes before we got on. And I was reminded of the study where doctors were given um, a, a list of a group of two patients of, of of patients, a group of men and a group of women, both both groups had exactly the same cardiac risk factors and exactly the same cardiac symptoms, and both groups received a cardiac diagnosis. However, once stress was mentioned, only 15% of the women received a cardiac diagnosis. The other 85% were told to get therapy, were told other things. So the minute that stress was mentioned, that gender bias really came into play. We are still diagnosed with hysteria, which, I mean, stress is the new code word, but um, it hasn't changed. So gender yeah. bias is very real. It's very yeah, so I, rem I remember this the story in your book with um, women in, in, in menopause and uh, that they were sent to the doctor because they got they were freaking out and that that we were not there was something wrong with us. Right. As always, something is wrong with us. It's not Absolutely. that it's really a medical condition. Right. Absolutely. And that was incidentally where I did find some cultural differences. And I don't know if they're still true, but it was just just for a sidebar for what was really interesting to me because women in Japan don't have hot flashes the same way we do. I don't know if that's still accurate, but at the time I did my research, I think they got neck pains and uh, women in the Yucatan have zero hot flashes and women in Korea I think were cold or hot one of the other I mean it was it was different it yep. was so different and they don't really know why it's it's not necessarily you'd think it was diet and they partly of course but not not totally so it's just really interesting um it, and these are good things to know because there's nothing wrong with us as women always try believe that that something is wrong with me, I have this, uh, and that the symptoms, let's take menopause, and you and I have been way past menopause, but I I remember I had a relatively easy menopause, others I don't, I did and I always contribute that to the amount of exercise I was doing. Was I right? I have no idea. I have no, no research I never, paper. Wow, I never but, thought but I always believe that exercise really helped me through the hot flashes uh, and, and a lot of the, the side effects of that, because I did exercise a lot back then as yeah. well. Yeah. And I only knew when I people were like, oh, my God, I have this hot flash and the water's running down. And I said, you know what? The only time I feel I have a hot flash is when I'm sitting on my bike and my cheeks get really fiery red. <laughs> that was my symptom. <laughs> my hair would frizz. <laughs> I would have some really bad hair days. That was mine. <laughs>
<laughs> so, and I always credit it to exercise. Good. I could be totally wrong and I could just be an incident, but you got frizzy hair. I got really rosy cheeks. So yeah. there's got to be something to exercise. <laughs> I guess so. And actually, my my hot flashes, they lasted maybe a couple of months. And that, I mean, it was nothing compared to what most people go through. Yeah. So when we talk about our health, uh, explain what you mean, uh, What why women mismanage their own health. What do you mean by that? Okay. What I mean by that is we make a lot of decisions that in the long run, do our, we do ourselves a disservice. For example, women do about 85 or 86% of the caretaking in the entire world. We put our, we don't put ourselves first. We put our children first, our families first. And by putting ourselves last, I talked to so many women that, well, I just don't have time to go to the doctor or the doctor gave me th- this prescription, but I've never, I just, I don't have the time to get it filled. And I'm, I'm, that's the, the first thing that really struck me because I don't see how you can take care of others if you don't feel good. Think about it. When you feel lousy, you're tired, you're irritated, you just feel crappy. You don't want to go around and help other people. It's the last thing you feel like. You want to crawl under the bed or into the bed. Um and I think that that I think putting ourselves last is one of the, the the probably the most common way we do ourselves a disservice. And uh, I think the second thing that we do that's also really a poor health habit is we hesitate to get second opinions. We don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings. We think the doctor's probably right. After all, the doctor knows best. I mean, they're the doctor. We're not the doctors. And we don't want to be rude. We've been socialized to play nice. And it's, we don't, that one woman told me that she was so afraid of being labeled a bad patient that if she, she said she would never ask for a second opinion. She was so afraid the doctor would be upset that it was a male doctor at the time. And she said he would put it in her chart. And it would follow her throughout her history. Um, and I, I I just have to take another sidebar for a minute because there are so many diseases out there, roughly 40, 50,000. Those are the ones we know about. So you can imagine how many there may really be. And so many of the symptoms mimic each other. So if you go to the doctor and you say, listen, I'm really tired and my, I'm not sleeping and I'm irritable. And I I mean, all of the symptoms that we all list, those fit, you know, 90% of the diseases out there. If you have a broken leg, that's easy. Obviously, they take an x-ray. Oh, that's why your leg hurts. You broke it. I mean, you know, but otherwise really tricky for the doctor to make a diagnosis. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. And I've talked to doctors about this and the ones I've talked to, I mean, now this was for research purposes, but they said they were delighted when patients got a second opinion. First of all, they weren't always sure it was their, any diagnosis is the doctor's best guess. And if they got backup, it it, it helps if there's ever a malpractice suit. Um, so it helps them and as, as well as the patient. So I yeah, think I that's so I, I cannot stress the importance en- enough of second opinions. Hey, it's Heike. I want to jump in and tell you about a program I'm offering. 
If you're ready to take control of your life and feel vibrant again, then the Pursue Your Spark Blueprint is for you. It's an eight-week online group coaching program for women in midlife. On this life-changing journey, you'll start a healthy intermittent fasting routine, lose body fat, improve gut health, and boost your energy. And boy, will you feel stronger after the course. With our course, you won't feel like you need to start over each time life gets in the way. Our tailored Pilates and strength training exercises combined with a built-in accountability system will make sure that you build lasting and consistent habits. We're not just about physical transformation. We're here to help you build a confident mindset to make guilt-free, smart health choices. Imagine going mountain biking or fitting into last year's clothing without a hitch. That's the energy and vitality, the Pursue Your Spark blueprint brings. Ready to prioritize your health? Click the link in the show notes to apply. It's time to invest in yourself because you are worth it. And so you make a good point. It's we think doctor is God. Doctor knows everything. Doctor Mm -hmm. knows best. Mm -hmm. But doctor doesn't know 50,000 diseases. No, they couldn't possibly. Nobody does. And sometimes people say, oh, this doctor was terrible. He couldn't help me. Maybe it was not the right doctor. Right. And we needed to just look further and explore more and see how somebody can help us. And um, with a doctor, just just, when you talked, something came to mind as I just recently went to a doctor who had very, not bad manners, but he was condescending. And I can't say it. I don't want to say it on the podcast, but I really thought about him, but I was very condescending. And he was like, he knew everything and treated me like I knew nothing. But I mean, thanks to Google, I Googled all the terms that he was talking about and all the things. So I knew what that all meant if I didn't know. And in the end, we had another visit. He couldn't remember that I was there the second time. I was like, what? You can't remember that I'm here the second time? Really? Oh, that's funny. Sorry. Uh huh. It it was sort of funny. It was ironic. And then he asked me these questions, and I said, "Listen, you're not my therapist. Uh, my blood pressure is high because you let me basically wait for an hour in the waiting room, which is another thing that I am very allergic about." Yes. Um. And but then going back to what you said with the example, I'm a bad patient. After the visit, he wrote a report for my uh, general practitioner, and he wrote in the report. Just the way he wrote it was just like condescending. Uh, I gave her X, Y, Z advice, but I doubt she will take it. Oh, my goodness. And my goodness. Right. And it, it, it was something very simple. I'm like, you are not offering. You could say I gave her this advice. End of story. Right. Not I doubt she will take it. Right. Right. I thought it was unbelievably rude. I do, too. And I am, I haven't told my doctor yet that I will never go back to this doctor. And if I hear, ever hear his name or anybody mentioning, do not go to this doctor. Right, absolutely. And that was one of those stories where like, did he treat me like this because I'm a woman? Did he treat me, talk to me like I'm, I'm an, literally I'm an idiot and I don't know anything. And I would just sit there and go, yeah, yes, doctor. Of course, yes, doctor. Right. But I had questions and he didn't answer my questions. So... With that, 
Okay, now this brings us to another question is why are women reluctant to take a doctor's advice sometimes? <laughs> because we know better and you listen to your gut. That's the message of my book. And I think it's real, and I have to say this, it's really important to listen to your doctor, but it's also really important to understand what they're saying and why they're saying it. And I think it's really important to ask questions. Um, one of the things, one of the statistics that really surprised me is 85% of women leave the doctor's office without fully understanding what they've been told. Think about that for a minute. You've, you've been given a diagnosis, you've been given a prescription, let's assume, and you're not quite sure what the doctor said or why you're been why you're taking the medicine. And that is not a good thing, obviously. And one of the things I really recommend, and I want to segue into this now, is when you go to the doctor, I think a couple of things are really important. And one is to write down an agenda. And I mean write down. I don't mean have an agenda. I mean write it down. Because if you're like me, you're going to forget half of what you want to tell like I want to say him, her, they, whatever the pronoun is, um, you're going to forget a lot of it. And it's really important to write it down. So, you know, it also it helps focus the visit. And the other thing that I really want to say is ask for the clinical name of your diagnosis. Have the doctor spell it for you so that you can go home and look it up. If you have access to a computer or go to the library, whatever you have to do. But look up and see if it see if you think it makes sense. Are the symptoms of that particular disease really what you're feeling? And you need to really think about that. And I think a really important question to ask the doctor is, I understand you think I have disease X. How did you arrive at that? I mean, what else could it possibly be? So that if, if you're lucky, he'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of this. Or she'll say, it could have been that. Um, and you'll have a couple of things you can go home and look up. Um, oh, my and God. Writing down so important. Oh, my God. This is so important. And, you, you know, you said you're... 81, I'm 62. I make myself a list. I get there and I don't remember because I get flustered and then they do exams and ask oh, you. I'm so busy trying to be a good patient. Sometimes I leave the office. I can tell you more about the doctor than he can or she can tell about me, you know. Yeah. Uh, yep. And that's not very good for what we're trying to achieve, right. staying healthier exactly. in, as we're aging. Now, when, um, when we're talking about the healthcare system and how it sometimes undermines or we undermine our own healthcare. Um, why does this happen? What do you think that we, we ourselves, I mean, you said, you know, I don't go pick up my meds, but what is, could be another factor be that we undermine our own health? Well, I think again, putting ourselves last is definitely a, one way we undermine ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I think equally important is so many of the women that I did talk with felt ashamed of being ill. They felt that it interfered with their quote. Oh, well, you can't see me quote, can you? I thought that maybe you can do the quotes because they hear the quotes and we have the video for those people but, oh, who watch right. the video. Quote. Quote. <laughs> they think it's their duty to take care of everybody and they're failing in their duty if they themselves come become ill. 
And I have, there were so many women that told me they were too embarrassed to call the doctor. Many of this was this was one of my most fascinating finds, and it's actually going it's going to be my second book. But so many women blamed their illness on stress, and that was one of the reasons they felt ashamed because they felt that they were so stressed, so overstressed that that's why they got sick. It didn't matter if they had breast cancer, lupus, uh, chronic fatigue. I mean, I, I talked to women who had all of those. Different women, not not one woman, and have all of those. But and they were so sure that they got ill, regardless of their disease, because they can't manage their stress. So they saw their sickness as, oh my gosh, she's sick. It's a public acknowledgement that they can't manage their lives. So they didn't even tell people most of the time that they were sick. So I think shame is a really big reason that women don't that women do themselves sometimes a disservice. Of course, it depends on the woman. It depends on what the symptoms are, et cetera. Um, this was so interesting. I put together a couple of focus groups, mostly because I just wanted geographical diversity because the women that I was interviewing were in California, which is where I live. Um, and in the in the group, I had hired a facilitator to that's what you know you do when you have focus groups and we barely needed her because the women were so eager to talk to other women about their illness most of them had never talked with anybody about their illness other than their doctor they were so ashamed of being ill that they just kept it private so in the focus group where they were not only allowed to talk about their illness but supposed to they again, I had women with different illnesses, but so many, I mean, it didn't matter. The the problems were the same, and they were so glad to hear that other women have, were having similar experiences, regardless of their disease. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I have like like my own focus group. Um, I have a brick and mortar studio for Pilates and strength training, intermittent fasting, and nutrition uh here in Maryland, aside from my pursue your spark brand. Yeah. And so I see people in person or at least on Zoom or a combination of both. And I have like my own little focus group because people have learned to trust me so much over the years. And my clients are not come and go by season. They've been yeah. with me for a long, long time. Yes. We are hashing out all kinds of stuff. <laughs> exactly. and, the neat, and the neat thing is I'm the hub. So if... One person comes and tells me how she treated gout. Let's just use gout. Yeah. Just came to mind. Uh, another person says, you know, I think I have gout. What do you know? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I have, you know, I know about this. And this is what this woman did. That's exactly, yes. That's exactly what happened. And uh, so there was this whole, is this whole cross uh promoting of what can we do to stay healthier? Right. Uh, and what have you tried? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced this? So this, this is really eye-opening, isn't it? Yes. And I think that as women, or maybe men too, I don't know, but I think as women, we forget how random illness is. I mean, some people get COVID and some don't. and Some alcoholics get liver disease and others don't. I mean, I, I exercise, I watch my diet, I have high blood pressure. My father-in-law never exercised, ate nothing but red meat, and his blood pressure was lower than mine is even with my meds. So. I mean, go figure, you know, who, who knows, right? Exactly, uh, exactly. So what action steps can women take to make sure that they receive the best care possible, Susan? 
I think the first thing they can do is take control of the doctor visit. I am going to repeat myself because it's critical. Make a list. Have the doctor write down the name of your disease so you can go home and look it up. Repeat back in your own words what you hear the doctor say so that you are very sure that you understood correctly. And take somebody with you. It's so important to have another pair of ears because, again, I get very anxious and I can't hear. So I think those are four steps that are really concrete. And I think that they're techniques that will really help you get the diagnosis that uh, the, the most accurate diagnosis. Again, you want to ask what else could this possibly be? Why did you arrive at this? What, what were you thinking? How did you get there? Um, all of you want again. It's a question of fully understanding what you've been told. And if the doctor brushes you off, that's a clue that maybe you need to find another doctor. I don't know. Good point. Don't be afraid to find a new doctor. The mm -hmm. the the doctor gods are not come, going to come down well, on you and and dismiss you. Yeah. Look at what happened to you. I mean, that's incredible. I will not. I, I had something similar at UCLA of all places, and I have nothing but respect for them. But I just went to have a biopsy on on a cyst. As it turned out, I mean, it was nothing. But nevertheless, they did the biopsy, and I I didn't know it was nothing. So I said I only asked one question. I mean, there was nothing to ask. I knew I was having a biopsy. And I just said, I just asked something about if it is um, malignant, what, what's the next step? And he said, why don't you just leave the driving to us and walked out of the room? What? So that was another doctor that I mean, it was, I never went back to. I mean, come on, really? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a hard no from this end too. It is. No. 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 And I, you know, no. I just want to add just a, do we, I don't know what our time schedule is here, but just another quick little story um, about how important it is to make sure that you listen to your intuition. My mother was about 75 and in perfect health, not a senile bone in her body and just went in for some knee surgery. I mean, no, no big deal. She was an outpatient. They gave her some medicine for a little pain and she came home and within about 24 hours, she couldn't remember her name, didn't know where she was. Oh my God, it was so frightening. I can't tell you. She couldn't, I mean, it was one of those. She didn't know who the president was. Um, so of course we called the doctor immediately and we said, something's wrong. This, you know, whatever. And he's, we went, he got off the golf course. I mean, literally. And he ran, we ran, met him at the office and he took me aside and he said, Sue, I know you're a close family, but your parents are aging and you're making them feel bad. You need to let them age graciously. And I said, Steve, nobody gets senile overnight. I mean, you're right. They are aging, but come on. One day she's terrific. The next day she doesn't know who she is. I mean, really? So we threw out her medication and she was back to normal. Um, she was allergic to something in the meds. But my point being that if my dad and I hadn't listened to our to our own intuition, we would have kept the doctor wanted to keep her on the meds. And I mean, I'd rather she be in pain. You know, she took a Tylenol or whatever she took and it was OK. But mm -hmm. so you you got to listen to your guts. That's really the moral of the story. That brings me to in what way do you feel doctors overemphasize uh, procedures or drugs? 
Well, you know, that's a loaded question. Yes. Do I think so? Yes. And I think there's some really good reasons for it. I mean, there is better living through science. Let's face it. Drugs have done some wonderful things. But, you know, compliance is such a difficult issue. And so many patients will go in requesting a drug that they've seen on television or and the doctor really wants to give it to you because if he gives you something you're asking for and she, he or she or they think that you need some, uh, you're more likely to comply if it's a drug that you've requested. And malpractice is set, is also a very big problem. And I, you know, we talked about that before. And I also think that, you know, now on Yahoo or wherever doctors get rated, so they want to please their patients. And many times patients will, if you don't give them something, they will walk out of the office thinking that you didn't believe them. I mean, there have been studies about that. Um, They did a study where people went in with, I don't know, stomach, fake people, you know, researchers went in with complaining of stomach issues. And those those patients that were told they had a stomach ache went out, went out much less happy than those people that were told they had gastroenteritis because they felt with the scientific name, they felt that they the doctor had really heard them with the if they told if they were told they had a sore throat instead of laryngitis or something, they felt that they hadn't been heard. So there's some that's that's another answer to it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a complex problem because I um, in my studio, I teach my clients or in my practice, I teach my uh, clients the real words, the big mm-hmm. words, as I like to call them. Mm-hmm. And then the words they can remember things by. Like, yeah. You know, like you said, laryngitis, my throat hurts. Just right. remember that, that the two go together. If you hear right. this, right, this this should make sense. And it's like you said earlier, the, knowing the big words, as I like to call them, yes, they uh, are. is good because you can Google then and educate exactly. yourself about exactly. this. If you put in sore throat, you get all kinds of things on the Internet. <laughs> No, it's true. And, you know, there's a, 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 which I forgot to mention, I'm not a good sales lady, but there's a a resource list at the back of my book. I've done the research for you. Google's great, but well, the internet is full of misinformation, but there are specific sites you can go to, to research your doctor, to find out where they were trained, to research your hospital. Some hospitals are good for cardiology. Some are good for neurology. You want to know who you're going to, where, if there is a problem, they're going to send you to and it's all there in the back of the book I have it all categorized how to check your drugs how to check everything I've really done that was the that took the most work really good job like I said you did a really good research I appreciate that a lot yeah I did (laughs) well you know it's your book it has your name on it and that's got a new cover and it's like you know it's yeah we even changed the name because women thought I I, now it's um, how women can navigate a broken healthcare system Yep. Yep. Which brings me to one more, uh, two more questions for you. Uh, what are three ways to manage a broken healthcare system? If somebody listens in, as a final takeaway, what are three ways to manage that broken system for you as, for us as women? Take charge of your health. It's your body. You only have one body and take care of it. Be sure you ask the doctor questions so that you understand fully what they've said. And third, do your own research so that you know very well 
what you're getting into. You don't want surprises. There was a, a study done where we, where women were who were having surgery never researched either their particular surgery or the surgeon who was going to perform it. Yet we spent eight hours researching a car, 10 hours researching a new job position. So our we seem to, again, put our health last. Don't do that. I'll end on a negative. You want to put, well, I'll end on a positive. You want to put yourself first. Put yourself first, yeah. Now, Susan, what is a question you wish somebody would have asked you that you have been interviewed for from or with? Is there a question that you said, I wish they would ask me this and nobody asked me that one? You know, I've no, not really. I've been interviewed so many times, but like yourself, they've been so thorough. People have read the book. They've really asked similar questions, but you have a you had a particular take on it somehow. Um, I, I wish that there was one woman, one one interviewer that did not ask me about the shame, and I thought that was one of the most important things in the book. Um, as I don't feel ashamed when I'm sick, I get angry um, at the world. Do you? Oh, that's me hilarious. too. Yeah, I get pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> we were meant to meet. I swear to God. <laughs> I think so. It's hilarious. It doesn't occur to me to be ashamed. I'm How not in the this... world. Do this to me. I have so many th- places to go and people to see <laughs> and things to do. That's right. You know, that's I'm like great. I'm planning a trip. We're going tomorrow. We're leaving for Portugal. I got no <gasps> business with other things. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. This is fantastic. (laughs) Susan, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and hearing more about your book. Where can people reach you and get your book? Well, my website is susansalinger.com. Salinger is S-A-L-E-N-G-E-R. And the book is available. Well, it's on Amazon, of course. The world is on Amazon. Um, And you can get it at any independent bookstore. Uh, You know, if they don't have it, they can order it. It's available wherever books are sold. Yes. Great. Thank you so much. We'll put the link in the show notes for you guys. So you don't have to pull over to the side and write things down (laughs) or whatever it is you, wherever you're listening to this episode. So we love it that you joined us, but we also want to hear from you. I would like you to reach out to me at hikeithikeyates.com and type the word sideline, just like Susan's book, sideline into the subject line and write to me how this episode impacted you, how you felt, what questions you had, uh, what do you want to know more about? And I can connect you with Susan, of course, and she's also all over social media. And once we post the episode on social, you can do the same thing there. But I really want to know, we're recording these episodes for your health, for your benefit. And I'm bringing experts in like Susan to help you live better in your second half of life and make better choices and see the options that you have. So email me, reach out, keyword sidelined. So Susan, thank you so much again. And it was a pleasure. I enjoyed thoroughly. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you.